So I'm gonna read chapter 15 to you. Listen to this. This is the word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's do the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask again that you would help us to understand your word. And in doing so, Lord, remind us that we're not here to learn how to be nice. We're not here because you give us tricks on how to manage or manipulate sin. We're here because you give us the greatest story, the story of reality, that by grace we enter into it and live in it. So Lord, bring us to Christ. Holy Spirit, bring us to Jesus. Make him irresistible to us afresh that we might worship, that we might be thankful, that we might have a clear sense of what you're doing with our lives and in the world and how we can have great hope. We ask these things, Lord, knowing that you can do far more, knowing that you can do whatever you want. So have your way with us. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. I'm going to start off fast this morning. Just want to tell you, we're starting off fast. So if you need to stand up and move around a little bit, that's fine, because we're starting fast. I want you to understand how extraordinary the living God is. I need you to understand that the God of the universe is unbelievably good. I need you to understand that before we can even get to Genesis 15, 
that what we see in Genesis 15 is extraordinary. It is absolutely extraordinary. Remember that the Bible is the story of God. It is God's story. It is a book about God. Remember that we've looked together in Genesis 1 and 2 to understand that God created everything. And he said that it was good. We tried to enter that portal of goodness and get there. Remember that? We couldn't stay there very long. Because in chapter 3 we learned together that we mucked everything up. That we trashed each other and trashed our relationship with God and trashed the relationship with the world. That we've trashed everything. And Genesis 4 through 11 only show how that intensifies from chapter 3. So after chapter 3 where we trashed everything, where we wrecked everything, that leads to murder. We, We read stories... We read a story not long after chapter 3 where a brother kills his own brother because he was jealous. And then after that, we read about a guy that decided that one wife wasn't enough. He needed multiple wives, and polygamy started. Then after that, we read of story after story after story all the way to this group of people that didn't want to be scattered everywhere They didn't want to go out and reflect the glory of God everywhere. They wanted to huddle up and build a gigantic tower so that they could get their way to God. Because they didn't really think they needed God. They thought they could supersede God. And oh, by the way, God in the midst of all of that, even before that big tower was built, he preserved a people from the justice of a flood. He preserved some people who get deserved justice, who deserve to die. And the response of the person who was preserved from the justice of a flood, you know what his response was? To get passed out drunk. If you would read from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Genesis 11, you would think to yourself, oh my What is next? If a worldwide flood wasn't adequate enough for God's justice, what is next? And God does something remarkable. Instead of righteously enacting justice, he proves himself to be absolutely committed to what he said in Genesis 1 and 2. His plan is perfectly intact He's not afraid, he's not worried, he's not caught off guard. He sees that we have messed everything up and he continues to pursue, he continues to show the world that he is a good God who is interested in flooding the earth with his glory. So he pursues this guy named Abram. Um, Abram grew up in this home that wanted nothing to do with God, didn't know anything about God, the living God, the true God. God finds him. He initiates relationship with him. He pursues him. And he comes to Abram and he says this, I am going to bless you. Matter of fact, from you is gonna come a great nation. Matter of fact, I'm gonna give you a land. Matter of fact, Abram, the whole earth is going to be blessed because of what I'm going to do through you. 
Quick sidebar. Do you hear Genesis 1 and 2 there? People populating, spreading, going throughout the earth. God's saying the same thing as he did in Genesis 1 and 2. He's still committed to people flourishing. He's still committed to people going out and scattering. He's still committed to his glory being spread everywhere in everything. He pursues Abram to remind Abram and to remind us that what he set up in Genesis 2, not even, the, not even our rebellion can stop him. And instead of further justice, what we see is God determining to maintain his plan and to spread and fill the earth with who he is. That, you can read about that in chapter 12 of Genesis. And, and you know, like us, Abraham's up and he's down. He's real excited and then we learn about, man, he just lies a lot. Wants to save his own backside. And that leads us all the way to Genesis 15, where guess what? God's pursuing Abram again. Only this time, what has just happened in Abram's life is that he has won a dramatic victory in which he was the significant underdog. There's no way, everything was stacked against him and Abraham ended up winning. It's remarkable. And yet here, in verse one of chapter 15, you notice what it says? God comes to him and says, hey, Abram, don't be afraid. Did you notice that? Don't be afraid. Why was Abram afraid? We don't know for sure, but it's probably not less than this. Uh, He just had an upset victory. So maybe all the other kings who I was fighting against are going to go home, retool, regroup, and then come back. Because they significantly outnumber me. So maybe he was afraid that he was going to have another battle. Maybe what? We don't really know. But here's the point. God's pursuing. Here's the point. God's protecting. Here's the point. God says, Abram, I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I'm the one that many have thought the text actually says, I'm your great reward. I'm everything for you, Abram. That's all the background to get us into chapter 15. So I hope that you have at least a little bit of a glimpse of how amazing and extraordinary God is. That not even our rebellion against him could thwart his plans. So that brings us further into chapter 15. We're going to have two stops as we look at this chapter together. The first is Abraham's questions. Our second stop will be God's answers. Got it? Simple enough. We're going to look at Abram's questions and then God's answers. So God tells him in verse 1, Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about any kings. Don't worry about anything else. And Abram says to him his first of his two questions in verse 2. The effect of verse 2 is Abram says this, what are you going to do, Lord? Lord, I know that you have made me all these promises. You've said that from me is going to come a great nation. You're going to give me a land and all the families are going to be blessed. And Lord, look at verse 2 and following. I I still have no child, uh, but Eliezer is in my house. What are you going to do, Lord? What are you going to do? I'm in my mid-80s. 
I still have no child. With each passing day, the likelihood of me being able to affect another child coming into the world is decreasing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you'll allow me to do another quick sidebar, go back and read the story of Abram and just look and think about how much God allows, humanly speaking, everything to be stacking against him. God's fine with waiting until Abram's in his late 90s and beyond. He's fine to let things just keep stacking against him to where everybody thinks he can't do anything. God does this all the time. It's amazing how the momentum is building in this story of Abram, where God is just letting things happen where we think, well, this is less and less likely that what you said, God, could happen. So Abram says, Lord, what are you going to do? In the ancient world, uh, what often happened is if uh, a husband and wife were getting upwards in age and they didn't have any child, they often would adopt, which is probably what happened here. They adopted Eliezer, and this was the agreement. Eliezer, if you help us age well and like you can take care of us, um, then when we die, assuming that you give us a proper burial, when we die, you can inherit all that we have. So Abram was like, I ha- I, no child for me. I got this adopted child, Eliezer. He's the one that is my heir. That's what Abram's saying. What are you going to do, God? What are you going to do? And then in verse 8, we have the other question that Abram poses. Okay, Lord, how do I know? How do I know you are going to do what you said you are going to do? How do I know? Now, let's just pause right here and think about this. Because of our rebellion against God, we all have a deep soul problem. And that deep soul problem is expressed with two questions. What am I going to do? And how do I know? You ever thought about how applicable those questions are in our lives? Just think about your own life right now. Think about what's going on with work. Think about what's going on with your friends. Think about what's going on with your family. Think about what's going on with the fact that you're single. Think about what's going on with everything in your life. Tell me if these two questions don't come into your mind. What am I going to do? And how do I know? It is common for us to come into worship and think to ourselves, okay, what am I going to do? It's common to think, well, how do I know? How do I know I'm doing enough? How do I know I'm doing the right thing? How do I know that this is going to work? Do you see? These questions are so deep down within us that we can't live a day without experiencing those questions coming to the surface. I got this problem with my car. Well, what am I going to do? Well, they said they're going to fix it. Well, how do I know it's going to work? I guess time will tell. As you've walked with me in my journey of medical concerns over the last couple years, let me tell you, those questions are on my mind all the time. I get my original diagnosis. Well, what are we going to do? And how do I know? And just so you know, I didn't like either answer. Do you see how profound these questions are? 
if you will be honest and vulnerable and sincere in your life, you are asking the same questions that Abram was asking. What do I do? And how do I know? Well, that leads us to look at God's response, God's answers to Abram's questions. Here's God's answer. The first answer is this. God captivates our hearts through our imagination. Look at verse five and following. God comes to Abram. Abram says, God, what are you gonna do? All I have is Eliezer right now, and that's fine, but that's not what you said was gonna happen. I don't have a child yet. What do we do? And God says, Abram, come on out of the tent. Abram comes out of the tent. God says, look up at the sky, Abram. Do you see what he's doing? God's not simply just reiterating what he told him in Genesis 12. He's saying, Abram, use your imagination. Look at the stars. Can you number those, Abram? Can you number them? God says, that is what I'm going to do. That is how many people are going to be affected through what I am going to do through you. Beloved, if you're sitting here this morning, I really hope that that encourages you. Because when God said, Abram, look at the stars. Can you number them? Guess what? They don't just have numbers. They have names. They represent people like me and you. Who are a long way off from Abram. But because of Christ, that's what God was promising. People like me and you connected to Abraham because we believe in the same God. God saying, Abram, look at the sky and know what I can do. I wonder if God didn't do that to Abram because living in a culture where you're outside a lot, living in a tent, traveling around, I would think that you would look up at the sky quite a bit. You need it for direction. You need to understand weather patterns. And every time Abram in his normal life would walk around and look up at the sky, guess what he would get to think about? That God had spoken to him and said, Abram, do you see this? This is a picture of what I'm going to do. God oftentimes gets at our hearts through imagination. If you put a pin in that, we'll come back to it later. Here's God's second answer. He not only is captivating our hearts through imagination, but God's answer is also this. He guarantees his answer with his life. Look at verse nine and following. Abram says, okay, Lord, I see the stars. I got you. Uh, but how do I know? <laughs> Sound familiar? And if you, any of you ever had a, uh, received a good answer to the question of what I'm going to do? But then you start immediately thinking, I really like that answer, but how do I know it's going to work? Right? God tells Abram, this is what I'm going to do. And Abram immediately begins to think, okay, Lord, well, I've got to make sure this is real. Right? God says, Abram. Abram, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go grab some animals. I want you to grab some animals and cut them in half. Abram knew exactly what to do. He didn't ask God, well, I don't know what in the world you're talking about, Lord. Abram knew what to do. He went and got the animals. He got the ram. He got, he got the, the heifer. He got the, cow, he got the cows. He, he split them in half, and, and he made this like two rows. And then to like further enhance the fact that Abram did everything that he knew to do, that God was telling him to do, and then he just had to wait. Because the birds were flying around and he had to chase them off. Did you see that? He chased off the birds. And then, after that, the sun went down, which means Abram was waiting even longer. And then, a deep, dark sleep fell on Abram. And as he was sleeping, as he was in this trance, if you will, as he was in this state of something thick, something dark, something somewhat ominous for the sense of being unknown, God began to speak to him. He said, Abram, I'm going to do everything that I told you I would, but it's going to take some time. It's going to be 400 years before your people ultimately get the land. And then even after that, it's going to take a while because this group of people that I'm dealing with, it's going to be a while before I'm ready to finally deal with them. It's going to be way more than 400 years. Just wait. But my promises are true. And then, in the midst of Abram being in this darkness, in the midst of Abram being in this situation that was unique, he begins to see this image. There's a smoking pot and there's a, there's a fiery torch he begins to see these images, and oh, by the way, these are phrases that are used to describe God's presence. When the Ten Commandments were codified, this is the description of God. When he led his people but with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, that, the same description is describing God's very presence. Abram is in the presence of God. Sometimes I wonder if when, this, when he sees this, uh, uh, when he's in this dark scene and there's a smoke and there's this fiery torch, sometimes I wonder if it isn't like a, a lightsaber, you know, that and you hear the hum and the movement of the, and, and the hum of the movement and you hear this and he sees this. It's not clear, but he is in the presence of God. And you might be wondering what in the world is going on with this? Well, let me tell you. In the ancient world, when something was really serious, you ended up making a commitment to each other. The Bible calls it a covenant. It's a big idea. It goes from before time all the way through eternity in the Bible, this idea of covenant. And it's there to show us the seriousness of what is happening, that God and whoever is dealing with God, right now it's Abram, and how they're talking to each other, it's, it's weighty, it's profound, it's important. It really, really matters. But a long time ago, instead of just signing a piece of paper, the two parties would act out the consequences if they didn't fulfill their commitments so when they cut the animals apart, it meant to say, 
if I don't fulfill my side, then may it be done to me what I have done to these animals. You get it? They're acting out the consequences. They're illustrating the consequences of not fulfilling their commitment. And Abram is in this darkness, and he sees the smoking fire pot, the smoking pot and the the flaming torch, and he sees this, and then guess what happens? You see, it's custom for the two parties to walk through together. It's even more customary if one party was of greater power than the other, then the lesser power would go through first. But here, do you see what happens? Only one person goes through the animals. Only one person goes through the aisle in between the halves of animals on each side. Only one. And guess who that is? God. Abram had to lay down, be still, and watch God be God. God walked through the middle, walked down this aisle with animals on both sides to say, Abram, I'm not only going to fulfill my part of the commitment, I'm going to fulfill yours. I'm going to do everything, Abram. Beloved, that's what we think about when we think of grace. That the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is that God pursues us and saves us. The message of what Jesus has done is that he's paid it all. He's done absolutely everything that we need to bring us to God. We are to receive what he has done. It's not a bargain. It's that God is so faithful, God is so gracious, God is so committed to what he wants done in the world that he, that he will endure the consequences of all of our inconsistencies, all of our rebellion, all of our inadequacies. He does everything. Because you remember there was another day in which darkness fell. You can read about it in Mark chapter 15. It was around noon, the text says, and darkness fell, and there was a guy who was hanging on the cross. And it was there that Jesus was ripped up, enduring all the consequences of all of the rebellion of all of his people. It was that day that he would fulfill all the obligations that we have to our holy Father. It was on that day that Jesus, in perfection, absorbed all of the wrath of God and consequences for our sin, all of it. And he did that by grace. Now, one other thing before we end. Did you notice that when God tells Abram to look at the stars in the sky, did you notice the verse after that, verse 6? It was there that, if you notice, actually, it's uh, the author decided to insert what was going on there. God wasn't speaking. Abraham wasn't speaking. Moses wrote in verse 6 and was like, "Um, this is the time when Abram believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Do you see that? And oh, by the way, 
This wasn't the first time that Abram believed. If you look real closely and want to get into all the grammar and stuff, it's saying that Abram continued and remained firm. Abram had believed before this day. He was continuing to believe. He was continuing to stake his whole life on everything that God said. And God granted him righteousness. God credited that to him, gifted it to him, because he didn't have it. God said, I'm going to give it to you, Abram. And then he acts out this amazing scene that we just described. Beloved, the only way that our souls are ever going to answer the question, what do we do and how do we know, is to understand that those answers find their solution in Jesus that he has done everything. And the reason that we know that he's done enough is because he said it. 